0: Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, I just want to welcome you. Maybe you you jumped into this series. It's the first time you're here. We're in part three of a series called Home Improvements. And I just want to say I'd be remiss if I didn't. I'm very thankful. Uh, This was a series I really jumped out of my comfort zone. We talked about dysfunctional comfort like three, maybe three, four weeks ago, and this was something for me as a speaker, I never really delved into this and did a whole series on family relationships and namely marriage, singleness too, and uh, I want to, I thank you so much for the support, a lot of support from people, especially last week, Uh, so I appreciate that, I have to let you know, Uh, it's very helpful to know that the material resonates with people and that you're getting something from it. You're getting fed, and that we're applying it to our lives. And I'm also thankful I threatened you last week and said if people didn't come out to changes that heal and boundaries that I was going to call your house, and we had about 100 people come out. Give yourselves a 100 people come out over the course of those two meetings. It's pretty good. Well, here we are in part three, and I would say this is the part that I had the most angst over. This is the part that our culture has demanded of me as a preacher to talk about this morning. And this is a topic in all of my years of preaching I have never talked about, but I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to go for it because I know as a preacher, and I understand as a Christian, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age. That's what we wrestle against, spiritual wickedness in high places. And Lord, right now, I pray, Father, we come against, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come against those powers and principalities that would try to keep the church quiet about real issues. Lord, we don't want this series to smell like a library. We want it to smell like real life. Lord, I ask that today you would open up minds and hearts. Lord, I ask for freedom in this place to flow. I ask for grace in this place to flow. I ask for love in this place to flow. Lord, I'm thankful that you were here waiting for us this morning. It wasn't something where we prayed and said, I hope you show up. You were here saying, I hope they show up. So, Lord, we enter into your presence this morning. Spirit of the living God, have your way and anoint your speaker like you've never anointed me before. Amen. There's a lot of passion inside of me today. I feel God's heart. You know, sometimes as a preacher, I don't get this way a lot in the beginning of a sermon, but I know it's God's heart for us today to hear this message. How many of you are familiar with Rick Warren? Rick Warren, Saddleback Church in California. You know, one of the mega church pastors in the country. I came across an article in Christianity Today. It's kind of a, a way to review, I thought. just this is, the, the way I'm preaching this message, this is just the way God gave it to me. And I've kind of been doing that during the series, and I know we get trained theologically, and professors tell us, you have your three points and everything. I'm not really kind of doing that this series, and if you don't like it, I don't really care. But um, anyway, so Rick Warren's wife, Kay Warren, there was an article in Christianity Today, and she was talking about her marriage She was married to Rick at 21 years old. It's pretty young, right? 21 years old. And she said, you know, it was amazing, you know, opposites, right? In in a lot of ways, but both Christian and how many of us know that opposites can attract? How many of us know that? But how many of us also know that as time goes on, opposites can attack, right? So she goes on and she talks about that in their marriage. And then she says, into the honeymoon, two weeks in, two week honeymoon, they realized they had a lot of problems in their marriage. And this is what she wrote about her marriage in general. There's a picture of them if you've never seen them before. And this is what she wrote. It's a little long, but I want you to stay with me. Uh, I don't approach this subject from the Hallmark card version of marriage, but from the blood, sweat, and tears of the trenches where our marriage was forged and is sustained. I know what it's like to choose to build our relationship, to seek marriage counseling again and again, to allow our small group and our family into the struggle, to determine one more time to say, let's start over and please forgive me, I was wrong and I forgive you. I know what it's like to admit that my way isn't the only way to see the world and to try to imagine what it's like to be on the other side of me to choose to focus on what is good and right and honorable in my husband instead of what drives me crazy. Can I get an amen on that? (laughs) I know what it's like to be cracked open by catastrophic grief and to share it with your spouse when you're so different. Each of us is not who the other was looking for, but each of us is who the other desperately needed to become the person we each are today. Yet it's also been the very best thing that has ever happened to either of us. We wouldn't be who we are today without each other. The shrieks of iron sharpening iron have often sounded like gears grinding on bare metal, but the result has been profound personal growth in both of us. Man, that was good. I'm glad you enjoyed that too. This is a review for much of what we've already said. I said, this, in, this encapsulates, this captures the message of what we've been saying for the first two weeks. You always marry the wrong person. Always. And as Lewis Smeeds, the ethicist said, and Christian philosopher, he said, right, you know, my wife has been married to five different people and they're all me. It's, marriage is a relationship where we're growing Marriage is something we said, you, Jerry Maguire, you can't complete somebody, but you can compliment them. That's what Kay is saying here. Two people come together. Marriage is hard. She said it's blood, sweat, and tears. But it is an amazing journey when two people come together and they complement each other. And happiness is not finding the right person. We've said happiness is being the right person. And I'm sick of this culture. We idealize, we idealize marriage, right? Every chick flick is idealized marriage. You find the one. Did you find the one yet? We've talked about all the fairy tales. They stop at the fairy tale. When they get married, that's when the movies stop. That's when the Nicholas Sparks books stop. Because we said nobody wants to see what happens after that. We idealize things. The culture out there has done that to us. And I was thinking about it. You know, if you have young kids, how many of you can relate to this? Now, I just tell it like it is. I was thinking the other day, it was a hard morning and trying to get out to work. And uh, I left. And the kids, you know, at times, right, can you, how many of you have young kids? Or you remember, your kids are older now, right? There are days when you're like, all right, you're a little challenging, right? So I get to work, and I'm staring at pictures. How many of you have pictures in your office or wherever you work of your children? And I sat there, and I looked, and I said, how come sometimes I'd rather kind of just look and hang out with the pictures than my own kids? Has anybody ever felt that way before? I can kind of pose them a certain way and do what I want with them, right? The picture sometimes looks prettier than the real thing. And I feel like God was saying to me, that's what we do with relationships and marriage. We idealize things. And we look at a picture that our culture is telling us that we're supposed to follow. And we're supposed to have a picture of romance. And then what happens is romance marries reality. And reality has some kids. And resentment is one of those kids. Real life. Real life. Can we go to a chapter I've never preached from in the Bible? One of the weirder chapters in the Bible? We've been spending a lot of time with the Apostle Paul. How many of you know this, by the way? Let me just throw it out there. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, on your phone. Um, interesting, many scholars believe that the Apostle Paul was actually married at one time. Do you know that? Many believe, because we always say, well, Paul was single just like Jesus. Many scholars say for him to rise to prominence in a Jewish culture, it's very likely that he was married at some point, and then at some point he probably lost his wife. So here he is, he's writing, and I want you to see and understand that as we get into this text. I'm not exegeting this text going verse by verse. I'm not doing that. I'm pulling a couple of things out. I'm pulling out some points that I think are pertinent for us, that God has put on my heart. And we're going to start. I'm going to read the first nine verses. First Corinthians chapter 7. This is what the Apostle Paul says, his words. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Least favorite verse for a man in the whole Bible. (laughs) Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment, for I wish that all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, but if they cannot control themselves they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Let me say that last verse again because that's going to be a focal point. But if they cannot control themselves they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. It's God's word for us. And can I give you the context as I always try to do, you know my historical bent in trying to really set the context. Sometimes some of you are going, that's in the Bible. I never read that before. This sounds kind of weird. How many of you would be honest, right? You're like, I'm in church right now. What's going on? Is this really what the pastor just read? This is the passage. Yeah, this is the passage we're looking at. And this is from your Bible. The Apostle Paul. You ready for the context? You ready for the context here? He has spent six chapters Talking to the people at Corinth, young Christian believers. You know the phrase, what, sta- what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? Vegas is tame compared to Corinth, the city. All right? Salacious, lewd things that would happen there, which I'll mention in a little bit. But this was a place where there was a lot of bad stuff, a lot of immorality that was going on. And they have, look what he says in the beginning. I have to have you, it is, uh, right there, oops. Now, for the questions that you have asked me, and then he gets into this in verse 1. Okay? I cut that part off. I don't know how that happened. I have no idea, but it happened. Okay? So the Apostle Paul, for six chapters, is answering questions that they have not asked. You following me? For six chapters, they wrote him. We don't have to this day. We do not know the questions that the church at Corinth, was asking the Apostle Paul. How many of us know sometimes the questions that we have, God says, I'm not really concerned with your questions. I'm really concerned with the issues that you have in your life. Can we talk about your dysfunction? Can we talk about your issues? And then maybe I'll answer some of your questions. That's what he does here. That's what he's doing. And he's going on and on for six whole chapters Not answering any of their questions, and I thought about it. It's such a difference between men and women. How many of us know sometimes um, women have the gift of expression? um, You can articulate and talk about things for a really long time. A long time. I remember seeing somebody when I was out, I was doing something, it was a church related activity, and I was at a hospital for, this is a few years ago. And the person knew who I was, I didn't know who they were, and she was talking to me, and it was the morning, and she was giving me every single detail about the situation and her life, and I, I, I kind of looked at my phone quick, and I saw that it was like 8.30, and I was saying to myself, how long is this, con- do I need to cancel my dinner plans tonight? Is this conversation going to go all night? And I know in my house sometimes, I'll say to my wife, I'll say to Megan, you have the talks. Right? You have the talks. Any of you, anybody you can relate to that? Come on, church. Don't leave me up here by myself today. Men, right? I see a couple of men. You're in trouble later. I just wanted to get some other people in trouble with me. Misery loves company, right? You know what I'm talking about? And sometimes we can talk. Now, men, on the other hand, we're very different. We give one syllable. Monosyllabic. It's, how was your day? Good. I have good. I have great. I have Okay. One word answers. And when I don't want to activate my voice box, you get the shrug. You get the shrug. Right? The apostle Paul is acting like a woman, y'all. He's going on and on for six chapters. And can you imagine? Remember, they didn't have multiple copies of this. So when the church, this letter was being read, there were two letters. This letter would have been read to the church. And the people must be like, will you just answer our questions? They've given sanitized questions about what they think their issues are. And Paul says, those aren't your issues. Let me show you what your issues are. Can I give you a couple of examples quick? All right, like here's one. He says uh, in 1 Corinthians 5.1. So before, right, all the things leading up to answering their questions... It is actually reported there is sexual immorality among you and such sexu- sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And they're kind of like, oh, how did you know about that? We were trying to hide that from you. We didn't want you to know that. Or another example in 6.15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Never. Prostitution was rampant in Corinth. So this gives us some historical context to what he is writing about. And I have to also mention when he says in he says in the first he says in the first part here, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, he is not to he's getting I could go on and on here and I'll put you all to sleep, so I won't. He is not saying, he's talking about the question that they gave him and he's answering the question and he's saying marriage is great marriage is a gift and he's talking this passage and he talks later about it that singleness is a gift and singleness is good and i know some of you right now are going well that's easy for you to say you're married and i'm trying to find somebody off the husband tree or the wife tree right but listen he's he's saying marriage is good Singleness is good. We have to be content with whatever we have. And if you're not married, that that person is going to come along at some point. But you better get yourself right now. I told you two half people can make hell. You don't think two half people don't make a whole person? Doesn't happen that way. So here he is. It's going to get good soon. <laughs> if you're like, all right, man, get to the. I got to set the context. You have to set the context. So here he is. And he talks about this stuff. And it's interesting, too. You ever notice historically, we get so caught up as the church talking about issues that people don't really care about? Can I be honest? Come on, this morning, come on. Do we talk about issues? What are the five points of Calvinism? And how is Calvinism different than Arminianism? Let's have a two hour theological debate. Really? Save it. Save it. Save it. The trichotomy or the dichotomy of the Holy Spirit, like we just, all these issues that we talk about. Now, we are a church. I study theology, I love theology. But listen, we want to be an emotionally healthy church and I'm sorry, I don't meet people that know the whole Bible and they can cite scripture and they can cite the chapter and the verse everywhere. It doesn't automatically mean that you're an emotionally healthy person and that you have a marriage that is whole and you're a good parent and you're you're good with your colleagues. It doesn't mean any of that. There are issues and dysfunction that we need to work on. Man, there are a lot of, y'all you, you are tough today. You, make, you didn't make me work this hard the last two weeks. I'm not going to stop. I'm like an anvil this morning. I'm just getting rolling. And I know, I said to you before, this, is, we, we don't, this message, the enemy doesn't want this message to get out. He doesn't want us to deal with some of this stuff. So I feel like, though, we deal with issues that not, we're not, they don't really, I mean, they're not meeting us where we are on a daily basis, right? We have people that came to church here and all across America that are smiling when they walk in the door, but their marriage is a mess. And they're smiling, and they know secretly, you know what? This may be it, and we may file for divorce. I don't really know, and you may be sitting next to someone. I'm sorry if you're a little uncomfortable this morning, but I only know how to preach the truth and the gospel, and you may feel that way today. That's what this series is about, to get in touch with our real issues that are going on, not the issues that really that we look at and say, ah, the theology. No, the real issues of where our lives are today. That's what we're looking at. And so the first thing when we look at intimacy and Paul speaks to real issues, he uses an illustration. He says, marry or burn. And I can't get off that all week because I'm thinking about he's using the illustration of fire. He's using the illustration of fire. And I had a lot of fun because I'm thinking about fire. He's using fire as a metaphor. And what do we know of fire? What does fire do? Fire can warm someone as a source, right? It can warm you. It can warm your house. Fire also is a purifying agent. It purifies things. And what's interesting to me is when you look at really intimacy, real close intimacy in a couple and you look at marriage, he's saying there's a desire inside of us that is not dirty, but sometimes I think the church has told us that it is dirty and that it's taboo, and that we're not supposed to talk about it. You know what I'm talking about? Are you just uncomfortable, or what? I know I keep asking you, but just wondering. There is nothing wrong with the passion, but when the passion gets misplaced, it can cause great destruction in our lives. Mismanaged passion! Passion! And there's a good example I came across this week, just thinking about it, a simple example. How many of you know the story of Moses in the Old Testament? See, many of us believe the story of Moses really starts at the burning bush. That there he is on the mountain of God, Horeb, and he sees a bush that is burning in Exodus 3. And we think that's where his story really starts, but no, it starts in Exodus 2. It starts up here, if we pull it up. And you see in 11 and 12, one day after Moses had grown up, he went off to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. It's like the godfather, right? He like kind of hides the guy. How do we get rid of this Dude. Hides him in the sand. Can really, this happen? Can you imagine the dude? He's looking one way and he's looking the other way and he's like, I guess the coast is clear and he buries the guy and he puts him in the sand. Mismanaged passion. Did Moses have the right passion for what was going on in the situation? Yes, he did. It was the manner in which he expressed it that was wrong. Good passion not expressed the right way. And then what happens? Look, the next day, the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. A lot of fighting going on. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you kill the Egyptian? Uh-oh. Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. So here is Moses again, missed, managed, passion. And as the story goes, Pharaoh finds out about this, and Moses becomes a fugitive. He becomes a man on the run. He had the, the, it was the right desire. It was the right passion. It was just expressed the wrong way. And he goes for 40 years and lives in the backside of the wilderness on a mountain with his father-in-law. Mismanaged passion. And I thought about us, and I'm saying, I wonder how many of us have had the right passion but the wrong expression of the passion that God put inside of us. And how many of our lives, how many issues could we have avoided if we expressed the passion that was good and intended by God if we expressed it in the manner in which God intended for us to express it? I told you I'm preaching today, I'm preaching, I'm preaching. It's just, we're building, the tension is building, it's like a pressure cooker. <laughs> and, and I was thinking about my, thinking about my oldest too. How many, of you, how many of us know sometimes, right, with your kids, I'm thinking about Jameson, and he's nine years old, and, and mismanaged passion. This boy has a gift for argumentation this boy, listen to me, listen to me. Some of you have been around him. His mom in the front goes, that's right. That's right. My husband's not lying. He will verbally assassinate you. He will look right at you and slice and dice you. And I say to him, boy, that's good. You got a good thing. You have a gift. I, first of all, I don't. we had a talk last night. I'm like, I don't know where he got that from. Where do you think he got that from? He got it from his Uncle John, who's the lawyer in the family, right? And my wife said to me, she, you know, it's your side of the family, right? It's not my side of the family. All right, whatever. Blame it on me. Blame it on my side. But I try to tell him. I try to tell him. I say, Jameson... You need to understand this is a good gift, but you have to understand that there's a proper way, boy, to express it. When your mom asks you to go clean your room or brush your teeth, it doesn't mean that you have to have an argument every single time. Because you know what? If you don't do it, you may not grow up to be an adult, boy. You may not make it. And I know you love that iPad. I already snapped one over my knee, boy. I'll snap another one over my knee. You won't have the iPad for the rest of your existence. If you don't shut up and listen to what your mama says. (laughs) Mismanaged passion. It's a good thing. It's a good gift. And we always say, you may be a litigator one day. I don't know. I don't know why. God, don't don't do it to the boy, but he may be a preacher one day. and he may have to do what I do and sweat, I'm up at like midnight reading new books last time, I'm like, I got a sermon to preach why am I reading these books and Pastor Linda knows what that's like and crazy, and you may be really good you may be ten times the preacher I am and your, your grandmother is and your grandfather is but listen, if it's not directed in the right way it can cause great destruction in our lives mismanaged <laughs> passion Passion is a good thing. Can I say this? I'm going to drop it. Ready? I feel free. I'm going to drop it. Sex is a good thing. No, 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 no. You didn't hear me. Sex is a good thing. No, 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 no. Sex is a good thing. Until I get everyone to clap on that. I have never mentioned it in the church, but sex is a good thing, and we've made it taboo, and we've said it's gross, and it's disgusting. Save it for your husband. That's what we've done as the church. No wonder there's so much dysfunction in the church, because we don't talk about it. It's a major problem in our society. And if I'm not talking about it and addressing it, that means the culture is going to talk about it and address it. And I'd rather talk about it in church than your kids hear about it on the playground and at school. Are we, do we want the world to teach our kids all this stuff? Do we want to tell our kids it's all bad? No, no, no. How about giving a theological framework? How about looking at what the Bible says about sex and intimacy and how God created it for good? Y'all know I love C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien. Tolkien said something 20 years ago. When I read it, I never forgot it. He said, listen, get this, get this. The enemy cannot create anything in and of itself All he can do is take what God has created and twist it and turn it. He takes something. The man and the woman are in the garden and he creates this intimacy and the enemy from that point forward to today until the last syllable of recorded time is going to take what God has created and twist it and pervert it and he's after you and he's after your kids. He's after your marriage. He's after your home and he wants your house to burn to the ground, spiritually speaking. I can get up here and give sermons and make else. It's just... This is serious. The passion is pure, but it needs parameters to serve the right purpose. Parameters. Boundaries. You know what hit me? John Walton, who was one of my favorite commentators, and he did a... If you ever want a commentary on the book of Genesis, this guy John Walton did one. I never saw this before. You know when God creates... Adam, Adam's in the garden. And then God says, it is not good for man to be alone, right? He says, it's not good for man to be alone. What's so interesting to me is he then says to him in the garden of Eden, you can eat from any tree, Adam, but not this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He hadn't even created Eve yet. And he said, before I can give, I'm putting in my own words now, before I can give you the blessing, I have to give you boundaries. Adam, you can't get the blessing until I give you the boundaries. Because once you understand the boundaries, like a two-year-old child, like Nolan is four years old, and he tries to go on my stove every single day before I came here, honey, he was trying to get in the stove with me. Boy, you can't get in the stove. It's going to burn you. Parameters. Not because I'm sick of God being accused of being some autocratic uh, being that exists in the universe. And he wants to keep us from experiencing any joy. In the name of Jesus, we cast that thought out. And we, listen, we have made agreements with that. We have made agreements with that assertion. And it's not true. It's from the pit of hell. The enemy is constantly hitting us with. God is holding out on you. There is more over here. Violate his principles because he's holding out just like he said to the man and the woman in the garden. There's more. How come we don't realize we're in a battle every single day we wake up for our minds, for our hearts, for our families, every single way, and if we're not vigilant then the prowling, roaring lion is going to take us out. It's going to take us out. Can I get my illustration now? Can somebody break You're the man, Jamal. So here's what I thought of. Uh, not yet, not yet. So here's what I did. Now, y'all know I'm like Paul Bunyan, right? I was, wear a, I was going to wear a flannel today to do this. This is about, about as outdoorsy as your pastor gets. Right? So I have some wood here. Okay. And in using the illustration of a fire, this is what we do. We stack, we stack a lot of wood. Now I thought about this illustration and I said, How far can I take this before people start to get afraid? I had gasoline on my mind. I said, I'm gonna bring some gasoline. I'm going to light a real fire. Let's see how far we can take this before people get afraid. Last week, y'all were afraid with my bottle. You kept saying that and I woke up Sunday night, middle of the night and I'm like, why are they worried about me with the bottle in my hand? I still don't get it. You don't trust me. You have to trust me. This is a relationship. I need you to trust me. And I'm thinking of a way to show this and the problem isn't building a fire. The problem is There has to be a place to contain the fire. You with me? So here we are in our society, and we're building fires. The only problem is we're building them in places that we're going to get burned, and they're going to burn our houses down. The same source that can heat your home is the same exact source that can blow down and destroy a whole forest in Colorado. It's the same exact source. The difference is there has to be a way to contain it. Can you imagine that? I, they, I have a fireplace in my house. I, they actually let me. People that know me, seriously, they let me use a fireplace in my house. I've I've only almost burned the house down three or four times. That's it. That's it. Don't you love the gas fireplaces? That's so much easier to work, right? You just turn the button. Oh, that's nice. That's so easy. No, I don't have one of those. Have the real fireplace because I'm a man. (laughs) You don't have one of these? You don't have a real fireplace? I don't know. You may not. I still love you and all, but... but the fire has to be contained. Can I just go for it? When we release passions that are not intended for marriage, outside of marriage, we build a fire with nothing to contain it. And I'm sorry Our culture, you know how hard it is for me to get up here and talk? This is not easy, man. This is not easy. But this is the truth. This is what the gospel says. And I see so many people in our culture, they're building fires and there's nothing to contain it. And there are a lot of young people. You young people, listen to me. They're getting warm by fires and they're going, maybe this person will keep me warm. And then what happens later on is that destruction comes in their lives because there was nothing to contain it. There were no parameters that were followed. God says, I've laid out boundaries that inside of the context of marriage is where the passion should be. You may not like it. I'm just telling you what the Bible says because I have to answer as a preacher one day. You don't. I do. And as one author said, you know what? The the marital fire, the, the fire that is in marriage, right? It's supposed to stay in that sphere of marriage. It's supposed to stay there. But we're supposed to stoke it as hot as we can inside the institution of marriage. Inside of it. That's where it's supposed to stay. And it's in the context of a covenant. The only human relationship that can sustain the force of passion of covenant is in a marriage it's the only one that can sustain it but yet everywhere we look people are we're teaching our young people the culture out there don't tell me i don't understand it cuz I'm a high school teacher in a public school i'm not stuck in some private school i hear the conversations i hear what kids say i can go i'm really trying to be measured this morning i'm holding back a little bit i'm holding back a little bit Pastor Linda said, hold back. (laughs) She knows me. The boundaries that God has laid out, they're blessings for us. Not to hurt us, not to hinder us. We need to figure out where to put them. You know when I did a word study this week? This is kind of cool. I think you'll you'll find this interesting. I did at least. I did a word study on the uh, intimacy, the word. Isn't that what we're all longing for anyway? Intimacy? We are all longing for intimacy. Everybody that gets warm next to somebody else, it's intimacy. Intimacy. I want you to see into me. Our relationship with God, all of our relationships, that's what we're longing for. That's what we're searching for. We're looking for intimacy. I want you to see the real me. Can you see the real me? I want to see the real you. Intimacy. And I looked at that word and I see it, you know, but, but then I looked at another word. You know, I just did another word. How about infatuation? So intimacy and then infatuation. Get this. You know what it means in Latin? I feel kind of smart with this. I'm not that smart, but I just feel kind of smart when I throw Latin in there. And the word infatuation in Latin, you know what it means? It means false fire. It means false fire. And there's so much mismanaged Passion, again, the enemy wants to take false fire and have us think it's the real McCoy, and it's not. And he's saying, do whatever you want out of the context of, I'm not trying to condemn anybody this morning. That is not my heart. That is not this church. That is not what I'm doing. I'm giving us a biblical, just one sermon. I could do a whole series on this chapter in 1 Corinthians 7. I'm looking at it. I'm really breaking it down. I could do a whole series on it. But understanding that this is what God made. He made parameters and boundaries for the institution of marriage. And kids, you're up against it. We're all up against it. Everywhere we look, we are, intimacy is being destroyed. You know what it is too? It's, Pastor Linda said this to me last night. She said, it's, it's microwave intimacy. Microwave intimacy, that's what we want. We want something quick. I'm reading a couple of books last night about pornography. Here's another word, right? We don't talk about that in the church. We don't talk about pornography. Pornography is as bad in the church as it is outside the church. It's a problem. Again, not con- I'm not trying to condemn us. I'm talking about the fact, though, real issues that are exactly where we are as Americans living in the 21st century. These are real issues. And it's false intimacy. How about this? I'm reading a book, one book, Your Brain on Porn. Your Brain on Porn. And the porn myth, I'm reading these like at midnight, last. I can't stop reading. I'm reading these books, and I'm reading the science behind pornography. I'm not just reading some Christian theologian talking about pornography. I'm reading people that are giving a scientific background to how our minds get rewired because the enemy wants to take 10-year-old boys, and he wants them to look at stuff on the internet so he can rewire their brains because that's what happens when you look at pornography what happens did you know it's a 13 billion dollar industry every single year 13 billion dollars two neuroscientists did an analysis of the top 400 million web searches get this one in eight searches was for erotic content one in eight a famous ted talk famous psychologist phil zimbardo he said the studies are showing a growing widespread fear of intimacy and a social awkwardness among men. And he said it's a disproportionate use of the Internet in general and pornography. He says that boys' brains are being rewired in a new way. The enemy is coming after our kids, everyone. He wants them. And if we're not going to talk about it and make do, go to war with it, And come up with solutions, shameless solutions, shame on us as the church. Shame on us if we don't come up with solutions and we don't battle this and take it head on. I know a lot of you, I told you you were going to be uncomfortable today. But it's the truth. And Dr. Henry Cloud talks about a philosopher who, you know what he said about this generation? We have taken the fig leaves off of our private parts and we have put them on our faces we have taken the fig leaves I told you we go deep in here we go deep that's Pastor Linda she's like you gotta throw this in there and we have taken the fig leaves and we put them on our faces and then people go of all the dating 100 million people use dating apps half of those are Tinder Quick hookup, here today, gone tomorrow. And we think we can just have intimacy with somebody and then move on to the next person. And we're taking the fig leaves and we're putting them over our faces and it doesn't mean anything. There's no intimacy, it's false intimacy. And the enemy's hitting us. Get more of it, get more false intimacy, get more fake fire, false fire. That's what I can give you. I can't give you the real thing, but I can give you the false thing. How about then as we end with some, with some shameless solutions? Can I go into that for a little bit? Can we go into that a little bit? Yeah. Any of you never coming back again because I touched this topic today? <laughs> Real, honestly, can you pray for me after this? I've never, can you pray for me after this? Yeah. Yeah. Can I have my other illustration please? Because I know what, you know what I think the church has done? We've poured so much shame on people. You have a pornography issue. Do you know what? The doctors, Townsend Cloud, all these doctors, everyone, you know, Pastor Linden knows a heck of a lot more than I do. But you know what I think? You know what we've done? As a church, we have taken shame and we have poured it on people. Shame! Stop what you're doing. Don't look at those websites. It's really bad. You need to be intimate with your spouse. Maybe it works for three days and then the fire builds up again. We douse the fire and we put it out with shame. And then a couple of days later, it just builds up and we're not changing people's lives. And I'm sick and tired of it because it's not the gospel. And don't you tell me, if you're somebody idiot, because I know it's in this room. I feel it. Powers are hitting me today, because I know it's real, and I know it's real beyond a shadow of a doubt. If this is you and you have an issue, guess what? We are a church that wants to be open about this kind of issue. If you need help in this area, we can try to help you. If we can't help you, we're going to send you to counseling so that you can get help. Because it's much more than telling your kid, don't look at porn. Don't look at porn. It's much bigger than that. Come on. It's so much bigger than that. And we come to church. It's like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer, World War II. He tried to take out Adolf Hitler. Hitler. And Bonhoeffer says, it's amazing in the church when somebody comes out and says, look at my sin, this is my issue, that we kind of point, look, a sinner among us. There's a sinner, I can't believe it. I rebuke that spirit in the name of Jesus. This is a church that we are to come out, come out, come out, wherever you are and get the help that you need. We are not there is no condemnation now for those that are in Christ Jesus. He didn't say a little bit, he didn't say a lot, he said there is no condemnation. And the enemy what you know what the enemy does? He gives us the courage to go, he says, "Yeah, do this. Go sin. Go look at this. Go do this." He gives us the courage to do that, and then he condemns us after when we try to go to God and say, God, can you deal with my shame? And he says, no, I'm going to come at you, and he keeps coming at us, and he keeps coming at us. You know what we need to do? You know when you get in conversations on your phone? You, get in group, you ever get in group text and you want to get out? I don't care about the potato salad. I don't care about all that stuff. How do I get off this thread? You can opt out of a conversation. How many of us need to opt out of the conversations that the enemy's trying to hit us with in our mind and say, I'm not listening to this anymore? Can you give me five more minutes? Music team, you could start to work your way up. We talked about Moses. Can I finish with Moses? You getting something out of this? You getting something out of this? Okay. All right. So in the next chapter, remember we talked about Moses, right? And he was on the backside in the wilderness He's on the, I could do a lot, I'm stopping because I could do a lot more and talk about that, but that's, and also this is what changes that healer for. A lot of people that are going to that have intimacy issues. It's okay. We can deal with those issues, security issues, identity issues. There are reasons why, there are reasons why we're going there. Short microwave intimacy. There are reasons why we can look at that and there is help. 3.1. Three, one. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he is. What happens in the next couple of verses? There the angel of the Lord, many of you know this, appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, was on it was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, how interesting. Here he is, Moses. He's in a lonely place. This is after, right, 40 years after he killed that Egyptian and he's a man that's been on the run. And he sees a strange sight. He sees a bush that is on fire again, fire, but it's not consumed And I bring that up in closing because when He is the center of our passion, your life will burn, but it won't burn out. When He is the center of our passion, God wants us to burn. God wants this to be a church that burns for Him. God wants marriages to burn for there to be passion in that relationship. Passion. But God says... Please don't go outside of the boundaries and the parameters I set up. Not because I'm, I'm a bad God, but because I want to protect y'all. But we miss it. I know. Where, where are we getting our values from? Again, we've got to keep saying it. Where are we getting our values from? And the problem is, it's not enough to starve the wrong fires. Let me say that again. It's not enough to starve the wrong fires. That is a message I hear a lot. Just starve those things. Just stop them. Just look away. Don't look at those sights. Just stop it. You can do it on your own. No, you can't. Jonathan Edwards, one of the fathers of the first great awakening, you know what he said we have to do? We have to lay ourselves in the way of allurement that we can't really build up affections in and of themselves for God, but when we set a foundation, almost like a lightning rod, and you put it out, God, here I am. God, here I am. God says, I'll do something in your life. God wants us to burn for him. When we burn for him, he says, watch out. All these other false fires that are out there, he says, when you put me first, when you put the kingdom of God first, everything else is going to be added unto you, brothers and sisters. Everything else, false fire, and you fight fire with fire. The enemy wants to convince us he can do for us what God can't. That's what the enemy is ultimately trying to do. I can do for you what God can't. So as a church, I didn't even tell you the title of my sermon today. The title of my sermon is Fight Fire with Fire. That's how we win. You don't just say, no. To one passion I've given you the illustration from Odysseus and Jason and, and the Argonauts it's you look you beat one passion with a supreme or an ever increasing passion when we get into the things of the Lord all those other things kind of look you see what they are for, you see them for what they are and who they are when we get into the passion of Christ Christ is looking for people today you, I, we, again I did not beat you up today I gave you the truth, I told you what the gospel says, who we are, the boundaries that are supposed to be in relationships, the false fire that is out there, but God wants us to burn and not burn up. He wants all of our relationships to be that way, and hopefully we get that. Steve, are we singing a song? Christianity, and John Piper said, Christianity is not a tedious, unsatisfying attempt to avoid temptations we really want to embrace. It's not Christianity now nah, that's not Christianity. It's a start. Don't you walk out of here and say, I can do this. You know what the gospel is? It's the exchange life that we talk about too. There's another life that lives inside of us. Stop trying to do it on your own. Look at your problem. Look at your situation. Change happens Where? in the context of community. And it also happens when we realize we're powerless to make changes in our lives that we lean on the life of Christ that is on the inside of us. Lord, I am powerless to change this in my life. Lord, I need your life to live through me. I'm gonna lay myself in the way of allurement. I'm gonna do whatever I can. I'm gonna saturate myself so that I can get hit by the lightning using that illustration from Jonathan Edwards. That's our job. Why don't we stand up, church? Let's stand up. If, and if you're someone in here today and you're going, man, Megan and I waited. Uh, you know what? We always hear stories about the other thing. We did. Can I give you a story to take you to the other side? It can happen. And in marriage, it's real. And it's so good. And it can be so pure. And it can be so lovely when two people come together. But if that's not you, guess what? There is hope there is grace for you today and if you say i'm not living the way i want to live and i'm into issues that's okay because the last time i checked the blood of jesus covers all of our sins covers everything and if i can't get a clap for that i don't know what i'm going to get a clap for the blood of jesus covers the blood of jesus covers lord i ask you to cover this message right now cover your speaker i've never asked what you cover me lord In the wee hours of the night as the enemy tries to attack me. Father, I thank you that you gave me the faith. And Lord, that I jumped out of the boat to do this today. Lord, Lord, I ask that you use these words. Lord, I ask by the power of your spirit, you use them in lives. Lord, may young people see today how much you love them. Because you've set boundaries and parameters. And you want something to be special. And you don't want them to burn their houses down. You're a good God. Jesus I'm so Jesus. grieved church for God today I'm grieved for God all week I'm grieved Jesus. false fire everywhere in our culture we're looking to that to bring us satisfaction and happiness and joy C.S. Lewis we're playing with mud pies on the seashore and, and a holiday at sea is offered to us and Christ says please Give me a shot. Let me burn inside of you because when I burn inside of you, baby, I'm not going to stop. As you leave this place, I have to reiterate one more time. I did not preach shame and condemnation from this pulpit this morning. If that's you, I would love for this to be a church as we continue to move forward and get healthy, that this would be an issue that we say it's not taboo anymore, that we're going to bring it out into the light and talk about it and deal with it we're dealing with our dysfunction as a church i can't even I, the, the goal and the dream for us as your pastors is that we really would be that emotionally healthy church and we would deal with a lot of these issues and our kids would be emotionally healthy and they wouldn't have to go down the road that so many people in the world are going to go down that they can lead lives and and, and lives of purity and integrity that it can happen and if that wasn't you who cares Grace covers that, and you move ahead. And in your marriages, there's still hope and there's still life. Lord, I ask that you would breathe life as these people leave this place. We are breathing by your spirit into marriages here, Lord. The 80 20 rule we talked about two weeks ago. Stop looking at the 20% that's not good in your spouse, and how about the 80% that's real good? Stop focusing on what's wrong and focus on what's right. Stop focusing on them and focus on yourself. Pick up the mirror and put down the magnifying glass. Church man, no, this is not a time to play around. I'm doing this every year. This series is happening every year. This is going to be part of who we are, and we have one more week next week. Next week, we're going to go deep, like last week, a little like last week, a little more than this week. It won't be as uncomfortable. But you come back for the last week of the series before we start our technology series the week after that. You have a blessed week. We have prayer over there. Great seeing you. Enjoy the beautiful day. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.